Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today we're exploring bringing equity into the birthing room. Despite increasingly high healthcare spending, the U.S. has one of the worst rates of deaths related to pregnancy and childbirth in the developed world. The damage goes beyond statistical data points, with rates of birth trauma also rising. And if you're a person of color, the situation is much, much worse. What is going on, and what can you do to help bring more equity into your and all births? Denise Bolds tells us more. Stay tuned. This episode of Birthful is brought to you by StoryWorth, an easy and fun way for your loved ones to share their stories with weekly prompts of questions you've never thought to ask. Learn more and receive $20 off when you subscribe at storyworth.com slash birthful. This episode of Birthful is also brought to you by Casper. Get $50 toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash birthful and using birthful at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. As always, thank you so, so much for listening and for all the love you give the show. And if what you hear is helpful, then please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And if you'd like to further support this podcast, please support its sponsors, who in today's case are Casper Mattresses and StoryWorth. All right, today we're talking about birth equity, which is a super complex and urgent topic. There are many people doing amazing work to shed light on the implications and long-lasting effects of birth inequity, and also to bring forth some creative solutions to improve outcomes as well as increase awareness. I do want to give a special shout out today to Sabrina Folks thomas who's the first black certified professional midwife in Wisconsin and founder of the Birth in Color Initiative in Milwaukee. And Milwaukee has the highest infant mortality rate in the country and the highest maternal mortality of any urban center. So the work being done by Sabrina and her team is incredibly important. And if you want to learn more or make a direct donation, you can contact them through birthincolor at gmail.com. And in a similar or related vein, I also want to make sure you know about the Birth Monopoly Foundation Kickstarter campaign, currently raising funds for the Mother May I documentary film, which is on consent and birth trauma. And it represents the experience of people's from of people from all backgrounds and walks of life. They have interviewed a lot of mamas um, and a lot of, of, of parents there. So that all or nothing Kickstarter campaign ends on May 15th, which also happens to be my birthday. So if you want to think of your contribution to the Mother May I documentary film Kickstarter as a birthday gift to me, why not? To or do it just because you want to support the cause. Um, to learn more about that, please search for Mother May I in Kickstarter or at kickstarter.com or click the link on the show notes. And remember that ends May 15th, so don't delay. All right. Now let's get into why this topic is so urgent by talking to my guest, Denise Bolds, who has been in the trenches working hard to improve things and shedding light in this topic, about this topic for years through her own radio show. Welcome, Denise. It's so great to have you here today. 
Thank you so much, Adriana. It's great to be here. I'm excited. Yeah, this is exciting. I always love to have on the show people who also do podcasting or radio just because it's like this kindred spirit things. And we're that <laughs> and we're also doulas. So double kindred spirit. <laughs> Um, and now the listeners know two things about you. Tell us more about w who you are, what you do, and what brought you to this kind of doula podcasting world. Well, um, I, I am Denise Bowles. I, I live here in Manhattan, uh, New York City, where I'm originally from. And I'm a certified birth doula with Donor International. I do a lot of birth advocacy and justice and awareness work, a lot of education. I am a black woman, and I am a successful single mom. Uh, I gave birth naturally uh, 27 years ago, and I uh, really stumbled upon this work kind of by a fluke, but at the same time, it was genetic destiny. I come from a lineage of maternal healers, so... For a long time, I've been in this field doing case management for high-risk pregnancies. And once the emptiness came to me and, you know, I was able to do what I want to do, I, I went ahead and did some soul searching and found out that I really was called to be a doula. So that's why I'm here. Uh, I'm also a blogger. Uh, my, my blog is The Audacious Black Woman. I'm also an author of several books, um, erotic fiction as well as self-help books for single black moms. And I've been a podcaster since uh, 2009, um, approaching my 10th year next year, which is hard to believe. Just started out um, as a fluke. One of my mentors had me on her show and I got hooked and I thought I could do it too. And I just stumbled into it, literally. <laughs> oh, so fun. And that's a long time to be doing this. Um, do you, what's the name of your show and where can people find it? Let's make leave that early on on the on the recording yeah, yeah. Um, it's on block talk radio and it's birth while black um, it has several different themes for the different years and different things I've been doing but I've cataloged about over 200 shows now as far as things that I've been doing since 2009 with the podcast so it's very diverse it's talking about the most provocative things happening in parenting motherhood black women uh, society, it's it's very radical. So it's it's very much out there. And it's also talking to doulas about starting up their business and mentorship and guidance. So it's pretty diverse and I love it. And the uh, topic or the, the, the umbrella that you have going on right now is in the light, birth in the light, right? Um, do I have that right? Yes, yes, that is one of them. Yes, because uh, we started out birth while black and uh, then we talked about awakened birth because birth went through several uh, evolutions uh, here in America, at least as far as women really being put to sleep. They were not attentive and they were now they're in the light. They're seeing things a little differently. And now we're awake. <laughs> yeah, so the twilight sleep is over for us. Now. Thank goodness. And yeah. And but that doesn't mean that we're uh, we have no problems. We still have a lot of problems, um, yes. as we are going to talk about today. But I think the important part is that we are being aware. We're starting to realize and get numbers and get data, and then try to figure out what to do about it. So, in that spirit of shining light and bringing light to what is happening in birth, it's hard to disentangle the part of giving birth and having a baby with the system in which that happens. And so let's take a bit of a look at the system and what the U.S. is doing in terms of outcomes, in terms of, you know, we have such a developed health care or, or we spend so much money on our health care. And the truth is that our, our outcomes are not 
that great for moms and new babies? No, it's not. And uh, it's, 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 a, it's a really sore subject for me, um, being a woman of color, being in a very high technical society that we're in, that women still have to struggle with something as beautiful, as reverent, as natural as giving birth. Absolutely. So um, I was in preparation for this for this talk. I did a little bit of research to update my numbers. And so at this point, the U.S. has one of the highest rates of death related to pregnancy and childbirth in the developed world. We're like 32nd out of 35. (laughs) Right. Yay. Uh huh. Um, But even worse, it has been rising since 2000. Like around 2000, there was, it was like 18, closer to 18 deaths per 100,000 live births. And now we're at like 26, which is, either of those numbers are more than double of what the next country in like the, the top countries, which would be like Finland, UK, France, Canada, Spain, Italy, Portugal, they all have... Uh, their rates are four to nine um, per hundred live births, and there since two thousand, their rates have been declining. So, in that sense, I like it. I, I love looking in the numbers because they really shed light of we're definitely doing something wrong. And then I, I wanted to make sure we talked about in this episode that. Even though we're going to focus on specifically the disparity with for black people giving birth, um, that that everything we're talking about today affects like this. This is like uh, what happens to black mothers is even worse within a system that's not doing so great for anybody. Correct. Correct. So those statistics that you read off are just very generalized. But if you want to be more specific and go into what's happening with black women, the numbers are staggering. The numbers are absolutely daunting. And those numbers, um, to me, I've been in case management, I've been in the medical field now for about 20 years. Those numbers have not improved. Other ethnicities have come forward. Um, Asian women, Latina women, other ethnicities have come forward and have better outcomes than black women do. So it's it's very daunting. Um, and, and, you know, the, the question is, is, is a rhetoric. Uh, people are making money off of doing, quote unquote, case studies on, on why. And we already know why. We, we already know what the problem is. So what is so do you have before we get into the why, do you have the numbers like what is the disparity for black women compared to white non-Hispanic women? For here in New York, it's 12% higher. So whatever outcome that is negative, it is it is intensified. It is exponentially 12% more for a black woman mm-hmm. than other races and ethnicities. Um, which is, so why, why? What accounts for that? What do we know? Well, from what I know and what I've been looking at really closely, uh, the system itself has been brokered upon race. Uh, Dr. Marion J. Sims is the father of gynecology. We all know this. Um, He founded Women's Hospital here in New York City. Um, He has uh, developed many, many instruments and methods um, on both uh, GYN studies as well as obstetrics. And those studies were all done off of black females who were slaves 
who were not given any kind of anesthesia, who were not given any kind of respect or autonomy, because it was believed, and it still is believed today, that black women don't feel pain, that black women don't need services, that black women are built to give birth, and that's all they're here to do. So when you have that type of premise coming into a medical society, it stayed. And unfortunately, it has dominated. I've, I've sat in on clients uh, that I've advocated for and just watch um, where they are not offered the same type of support and services and resources when they're giving birth. And um, it is a chronic system. The system is flawed. The system is broken because you have black physicians in the system themselves who are very aware. They are very aware of what's happening with the disparities. But because they bought into this system, it is very hard for them to be the whistleblower um, when they are very colonized in their medical practices. So the system itself is flawed. And um, unfortunately, we have to, in my account, break down the system in order to rebuild it. And I think it's really important to you know, bring together that part of the history where it comes from, because you, I find that you have two, it's, there's a lot of intersec intersectionality here, right? Because you're intersecting um, hierarchies and power of ownership. You're intersecting hierarchies of race. You're intersecting hierarchies of, you know, female and, and femininity and, and masculinity. You're intersecting uh, power roles, of institutions versus lay people you're like it's it, it almost is like everything comes had it comes to head at in the birthing room and this whole idea that medicine is better through technology like in a recent episode i i had robbie davis floyd talking about her um different systems of birth and the technocratic birth is kind of like one that where the system really values that technology is going to set you free right that <laughs> right yeah that everything can be cured through technology and that's kind of like where our health system lies more than prevention or more of you know alternative methods or 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 even considering the person as a holistic being not just parts that need to be taken care of independent of each other um and birth being such a holistic mind body process where it's not pathology you're not sick you are the person that is doing the thing the fact that that person is not lifted up to the highest pedestal and supported in every way but rather told you don't know what you're talking about even though this is happening in your body and we know better and then we'll, we're you know it's that dismissiveness that makes it so difficult and like you said before of as a doula being able to witness birth because that's what we do we witness um, we have the luxury of not having to do anything medical so we can support and witness. And in that witnessing, having been able to see how the same doctor will treat people differently based on biases and, and, and disparity. Yeah. And, you know, the medical society will throw in so many uh, other diversions on the why. Um, they have to be uh, careful for liability purposes. Um, they have to be mindful of insurance uh, practices. They have to be mindful of policy and procedures. They have to be um, adherent to a certain 
um, reliability of, of a level of care, um, they will throw in so many different rationales as to why they can't have a uniform respect and a uniform continuity of care across the board. They can't do that. Um, but they will throw in, oh, well, you know, we were in a hurry with her because, you know, her insurance said and this. They will throw in all kinds of other things rather than just to strip away what is very common in birth. And that racism goes into the birth with every woman and racism. There's some form of racism that's there, whether she is single, her economics, her marital status, her color of her skin, her insurance card. All those factors go into that birth room with that woman. And it's uh, it's more dominant for black women, but every woman can face the same thing uh, depending on uh, where she's giving birth and, and with whom. And absolutely. And so we have to take a quick break. But when we come back, I want to talk about a little bit more of how usually those just, you know, the outcomes are blamed on low income and blamed on other things that but the research sort of shows us that that's not the case and even talk about the what happened to Serena Williams recently which shows that you know really it, it, it you, uh, race makes it so dismissive the, the the no matter they see that before unfortunately that precedes your care um so we'll be right back I want to tell you about StoryWorth because when I found StoryWorth, I was like, where have you been all my life? StoryWorth is a fantastic way to preserve your family memories. So here's how it works. First, you purchase a subscription for someone you love. And each week for a year, StoryWorth sends them an email with a question about their life. Then, two, they simply reply to that email with their story. And then, three, after a year, their stories will be bound into a beautiful keepsake book. Simple as that. Get a question, reply with an answer, repeat for a year, edit if needed, and receive a hardcover keepsake book. Now, with Mother's Day coming up, I decided to do things differently and give StoryWorth as a mother's gift to myself. But this is because the time before my daughter goes off to college is getting shorter and shorter, and I feel the need to document that little time we have together And I know we, I know from experience that if I don't do it now, I will forget about these great moments. Just a few weeks ago, my daughter found her baby book and commented on how little there was in it. But it's never too late. And so now StoryWorth is giving me a simple structure to help me make the time to write these things down. They have a bunch of great prompt questions for you to choose from, or you can create your own. So for example, StoryWorth recently asked me from their list of questions, What is one of your favorite trips that you've taken? What made it great? And so I wrote about going to a theater in Berlin while I was in college that had an enormous chandelier, very similar to the one in the Kodak Hall in the Eastman Theater here in Rochester, where my daughter and I have just gone to see a show and we're commenting on that enormous chandelier. So I was able to capture that memory and also share about a story that she had no idea about that ties into college, which is something that she's going to be experiencing very soon. So it brings it all together in so many levels. I only wish that I had started this sooner. 
StoryWorth is indeed the perfect Mother's Day gift, even if it's last minute. Imagine all the great stories that your mom, your aunt, your grandma have to share, the fun they would have doing this, and how reading these stories could bring you closer together. Go to storyworth.com slash birthful and gift a subscription to any of them today. You could even get a StoryWorth subscription as a Mother's Day gift for each and every one of the different moms in your family. And why not? Yourself too. To learn more and receive $20 off when you subscribe, visit storyworth.com slash birthful. That's S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash birthful. And we are back. So let's look. We've established like very much, unfortunately, black women have worse outcomes when it comes to maternity rates and, and, and the deaths of their infants. Um, and you were talking about the rates for New York City. There, In the research that I did, I had that, you know, black women are three to four times as likely to die from pregnancy-related causes than their white counterparts, according to the CDC. Um, now... In terms of getting deeper to why that happens, like we do have institutional racism and we have that in place, but is that all that's going on? No, no, there isn't. There is cultural incompetence that's also happening. Um, There is a lack of diversity and training um, and understanding that it takes a community to get that woman and her family into the institution to give birth. Um, we're also talking about low-income women or basically women in general who do not have access to the proper nutrition, the proper prenatal education and, and guidance. Um, and they don't understand their own autonomy in this as consumers where they, women have a right to question. They have a right to contribute to their own births with their birth preferences, with, with their families, with their, with their, with their actual, um, uh, presence as far as what they bring They're, They don't understand that a lot of times, a lot of this is based on fear factoring and throwing in the high fear of, well, if you don't do this, we're going to call CPS on you if you don't do this. And if you don't do that, then the doctor's not going to treat you. And a lot of the fear is thrown at black women and threats are thrown at black women that if they don't comply, that if they don't just go along, then these threats do come up. And they've been coming up now for centuries and it is daunting. And um, I've seen these threats firsthand. I've witnessed them firsthand. Um, And it's pretty bad. And it's, 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 it's there and it has not diminished. It has not gone away. No. And, and, you know, we talk so much about birth being a human right and how you have the right to inform consent and refusal. And that is beautiful on paper. But yes, it's not what ha- like it's unfortunately not what happens. And there's so much coercion through fear and even through love. Um of no, this is the best, you know, it doesn't have to be a, a, a force you to comply through fears. There's lots of ways. But I was reading recently, and I'll, I'll look for it and post it on the show notes, that some women, and I can't remember, I think it's in Alabama, like when they go to their prenatal visits, having them be forced to have a um, shot to 
and now the word's gone out of my brain. It's um for reproduction to like to as uh what yeah, it's for, it's for sterilization once they thank you. Birth them on depo or some other form of birth control and if and they don't take the shot they'd like you have to do the shot or you can't go home with your baby correct correct which and, and pretty scary well i mean and that's an ultimatum that's completely illegal it is and you know so I think it's important to also tell the stories and I know lots of people are telling stories and if you wouldn't mind sharing some of the stories that you've encountered or that you've read about because that really brings specifics to such a vast and intricate mind conversation that we're having here. Well, yeah, I mean, from it, you know, I don't bring it up to my clients because it's really not about me when I'm interfacing with my clients. But my own birth, 27 years ago, I was divorced uh, from my husband and I had to go on to PCAP, which is a Medicaid pregnancy program back in the day. And back in the day when I had to go on PCAP, the, the, the OB said, well, I can't treat you anymore because I only accept private insurance. You're going to have to have a midwife. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, that's one of the best things I've heard all day. And I ended up having a midwife attend my birth. But at the same time, while I was in the hospital, the way I was treated under Medicaid, um, I was it was very brusque. Um, there was very little uh, participation by me. Um, my voice was not heard. My mother was my doula. So you have these two black women in the room with no father around and uh and it was really, really um, tough. And I think what happened, because there was so much trauma with my son's birth that I experienced um, uh, psychologically as well as physically, that consequently after his birth, uh, I basically could not hold another pregnancy. I had about four miscarriages after that. So when you have this type of, of paradigm that happens in modern America, um, then you have to say it's... There's, there's, there's something here that's not working. There's something here that's wrong. This woman came in with a decent amount of, of education. She came in with support. Uh, she came in uh, with her prenatal intact. She was compliant. And yet still, she had, a, she had a challenging birth. She had a challenging time in the microcosm called the hospital, in the system. So those type of things do happen. And there's tons of stories I can talk about as far as, you know, interfacing with my clients and people who just come to me because they know what I am in the community and they know what I do. And they want to just share their story as part of their healing process. But there's tons and tons and tons of stories here in modern America. Last year, I had the honor of interviewing um, uh, Charles Johnson. And he is the son of, of Judge Glenda Hatchett. And his wife died last year at Los Angeles Cedar sinai Hospital from a complication of a scheduled C-section. And in that complication, they snipped her bladder, sewed her up, put her in recovery, and for 10 to 12 hours, that woman basically suffered before she bled to death. And they went and they advocated for her to get a, a CAT scan. They talked about the pain she was in, the fact that she wasn't able to sit up and hold her baby, the fact that her blood pressure stayed low. Um, all the meat, all the while, she was literally hemorrhaging to death internally. And um, this woman never walked out the hospital. She leaves behind her husband and two children. This is a very common story where a woman's voice is simply ignored. When she was in recovery, Kira was saying, I'm not feeling well. Something doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like the first C-section. And she was basically, you know, told to be quiet and say, you know, hey, this is you just had major surgery. Just suck it up. 
And meanwhile, she was trying to ask for help and that help was denied and she was in recovery under extreme medical care and that medical care failed her. And there's hundreds and hundreds of stories like this and hundreds of stories like my story where I, I walked out with my baby, but consequently uh, that trauma that I was exposed to affected my future reproductive health opportunities. So it's not just the actual clinical dynamic on the spot, but it's actually the longitudinal type of, of repercussion that the black woman is gonna face after being exposed to that kind of trauma. How's that gonna impact her future pregnancies? How's that gonna impact her future birth opportunities? Those are the other things that we have to look at also. Absolutely, and and Glenda's story is, is so tragic and completely preventable. Yes. And you know, you made a mistake, you didn't catch it, listen to the person. And it's that dismissiveness, I mean, on a completely different level in terms of, you know, Glenda, unfortunately, died. Um, but something similar, and I'm only bringing it up because I mentioned it before the break about Serena Williams, same thing. She had the only reason she spoke up so loudly is because it was a condition that she's lived with all her life. Right. Um, and she knew that what that felt like and saying like, no, you really need to listen to me. And so she was very, she had that voice, but not a lot of people are able to find that voice to right. make themselves heard within a system that doesn't, tends to not want to hear you anyway. That's right. That's right. That's right. And, and that's, that's, that's where it is. And, and what is profound about this, this is why it's so vital, is that this can happen to any woman who is perceived as whatever bias that medical professional may have. I've seen white women go through the same thing. They come in low income or they come in in an interracial relationship or they come in with the same sex relationship. Whatever that bias is and they come in to give birth, that bias is going to contaminate their birth experience, period. Absolutely. And so how can we bring more justice into the birthing room? There, there has to be open discussion. There has to be a wave of sharing these stories and experiences. Um, we can't just say because certain things have been gained, now we're okay. It's never okay because, like I said earlier, the longitudinal, the long-term outcome of these negative birth experiences will be felt um, in future generations. That's why it's so important that women are supported in their birth experiences because it does impact future generations. Um, the neurons, the, the way that baby grows, that, that energy that that baby was exposed to can have a long lasting effect that could be negative. So what can we do now? We can have the sharing of stories. We can have access to doula support, to community prenatal care support. We can have uh, institutions actually offer more access and better reception for black midwives coming into the foray of of prenatal and, and pregnancy and birth. And we can have those OBs who are of color actually step forward and say, hey, peer to peer, this is not working and this is what we can do to have it work. So we need those voices and we need people to be brave in this very daunting and very difficult task. Um, that bravery is going to go a long way. Absolutely. And you bring up a great point, which is representation. If you are cared for 
by, a, you know, if you see yourself represented in the people that care for you or teach you or, you know, your teacher, any, any role model, right? If there's, there's already going to be a benefit in that um, just because you feel not an other, which is what happens a lot within the hospitals and, and within the, the, the medical system at large, where there aren't that many um, and, and number of people of color in those positions and higher positions. Um, and so, yeah, representation is great, but you touch upon a, a really important point, which is <laughs> who cares for you is such an important choice. So let's take a quick break and get back to that because I think that is key in terms, in terms of figuring out how your care is going to be. We'll be right back. What's the state of your mattress? Do you feel like it's giving you the support you need for a good night's sleep? Maybe it's time for a Casper mattress. Casper products are cleverly designed to mimic human curves, providing supportive comfort for all kinds of bodies. The original Casper mattress combines multiple supportive memory foams for a quality sleep surface with the right amount of both sink and bounds, and its breathable design also helps you sleep cool and regulates your body temperature throughout the night. With over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars across Casper, Amazon, and Google, Casper is becoming the internet's favorite favorite mattress. Best of all, Casper has affordable prices because it cuts out the middleman and sells directly to you. And you can be sure of your purchase with Casper's 100% night risk-free sleep on it trial. They also provide free shipping and returns in the US and Canada. So why don't you give it a try? Get $50 off toward select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash birthful and using birthful at checkout today. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's casper.com slash birthful. And we're back talking with Denise Bolds about bringing justice and equity to the birth room and to outcomes at large. So let's talk a little bit more about that. In your case, in the story that you shared, the fact that your OB said, you know what, I can't take care of you, you've got to go find a midwife, actually turned out to be a good thing for you, um, yes. right? <laughs> as you mentioned. Um, but... How important is it for people to really be discerning when choosing their care provider? You know, the irony in this country is because we are so uh, paternally, capitalistically modified and, and influenced, we'll have women that will put more effort and energy into their baby shower and their registry <laughs> than they will in seeking out good prenatal, pregnancy, birth support care. Um, and that's important. And women need to understand, families need to understand that this is an investment. Um, and to seek out those physicians who have low C-section rates, who are diverse and who understand communities, to look at hospital C-section rates. On my webpage, my, my webpage for my business, every year I update the consumer report on the hospital's across the United States and their C-section rates. And I think um, we need to take more accountability for that because it's it begins with us. At the same token, if a woman or a family has a negative experience in, in the hospital at their birth, uh, they need to write that letter to the administration of that department 
and put it in writing what they experience because every single letter has to be responded to. That's that's a state mandate. And at the same time, women also need to look for other alternatives and not be focused on media direction that a better birth happens in a hospital. There are wonderful home birth opportunities. There are wonderful birthing center opportunities. There are other opportunities for birth. And just to follow along on this treadmill that society has put forward for us is completely doing a disservice uh, to the woman, to the family, to the community, and to that baby. Absolutely. And I, I really like the point that you make of of making sure you speak up if you have a negative outcome. Like, let's bring this out of the woodwork. Let's make sure people can't hide behind it because it, it shouldn't like it is that big of an issue. The fact that we're sweeping it under the rug and not bringing awareness to it until now, like I think now we're starting to bring more awareness to it and every day more. Um, but it, it can be extremely consumer driven, this change that we need to happen. Oh, yeah, absolutely. When you when you when you go to a capitalistic model and you hit them where they know. And they're very familiar with and that is with the money. And if you start taking your, your business and your money and your resources elsewhere, um, then you will see change. Then you will see that door open and, and then you will, you will have that shift. At the same time, internally, uh, those who are aware, who are working hard, need to really work on proposing policies in place to make sure that things uh, will stay in a state of change that is conducive and positive. And we have to move away from treating, as you said earlier, treating pregnancy like it's a diagnosis, like it's a disease, like it's an illness. And it's not. No, it's not <laughs> at all. And it, and the more we support the physiology of what's going on and respect that person and hear what's going on inside the body, the more we actually support the process and help them have a better experience and a better outcome. Correct, because people don't understand. When you go to my webpage, I, I use a lot of blogs to teach. And people don't understand that an obstetrician is a doctor who specializes in the problems of pregnancy. So when you hire an obstetrician to monitor your pregnancy, that, op, that, that physician is going to be looking for the problems that are going to come. It's very, very rare that you're going to have uh, uh, an obstetrician who's not going to want to do things from a more clinical standpoint. Some obstetricians are benefited by being trained by midwives, but those are few and far between. So when you have an obstetrician come in, that is a healthcare professional who is specializes in pregnancy, challenges, diseases, negative outcomes, hard diagnoses, those type of things. So a midwife is working from a more holistic model. She doesn't have all of that because she's working to, on a different end of the spectrum when it comes to prenatal care. So the education has to come up. And even though it's a tough topic, like I said earlier, we have to be brave and, and, and broach those topics and get those discussions continually. Mm. And that if we look at what other countries that have better outcomes are doing, one of the things that comes up regularly is a more collaborative model of care between 
mid midwives and OBs where there is communication between both of them and the midwives are more in charge of n low risk pregnancies and when there's something that's coming up that needs to be more monitored then they consult and collaborate with an OB because yes as you said you know OBs are trained in in, in in looking for something going wrong and above all they are surgeons like that's that's their that's comfort level as <laughs> surgeon it's like having i read this <laughs> this analogy somewhere and i was like oh my god that's so great i can't remember where it was i think it was at a conference and it was um that having an ob or care for your for your for your birth like deliver your baby be part of your prenatal care it's like having a psychiatrist babysit your child there you go <laughs> because it's such level of specialization that you know it's not necessarily what's required for what you're looking at right which is a normal process um yeah. that needs absolutely absolutely and it's even bigger than that if you look at the model here in the United States, and I know you refer to other models in other countries like Europe and such, and their models are very good. But if you look at the, the United States model, what we're doing in birth is connected to so many other paradigms here in America. The fact that we monitor and we have such a stranglehold on birth um, has a lot to do with our education system. It has a lot to do with our um, justice system. All of these are very interconnected. So when you have that woman or that person who has a very traumatizing birth and that baby now has that trauma associated with them because of how they were born, now that baby could grow up and have education deficits. That education deficit will cause them to probably self-medicate and go out into society and do things that they normally wouldn't have done that will now put them into the justice system. That justice system will now put them through another system of incarceration and parole and probation and all kinds of things. All these entities creates money, special ed designation, uh, penitentiary uh, incarceration generates money, uh, high risk pregnancies and NICU generates money. These things are all very interconnected. So if we stop how women are giving birth in these very dysfunctional ways, guess what's gonna to happen to all those other connections? They are gonna atrophy. They're gonna actually slow down and people, shareholders, are actually gonna lose money because only in this country do you have shareholders that make money off of dysfunctional birth, maternal mortality, infant mortality, incarceration, special ed. Those are all money makers for somebody. And if we stop that, if we recognize how big this picture is and how important it is to address this maternal crisis that we're in, because it is a crisis, if we're willing to look at it that way and see how it's all connected back to capitalism, then you will understand why this is so important. Yeah. And in terms of ways to change it, um, you know, we've been popping up here and there. It's that like you've been talking about the importance of community and the importance of support, the importance of information, the importance of that one on one respect. Right. And 
throughout the past few years, I wouldn't say like five, eight years, there's been research mounting on community doula services and different programs where the doulas are able to create that sort of be that glue that helps uplift the birthing person in terms of giving them more information, in terms of feeling them, making them feel more supported, and in terms of also helping them find their voice. Yes, yes. But we have to be careful with that because within that moniker, community doulas are often women of color and they are demanded to accept less reimbursement or compensation for their work. Community doulas are normally women of color who have been assumed into a role of accepting less compensation for all the work that they do. And the problem is in the in the part of being forced to accept less compensation for what they do, because that should be valued. They are bringing a huge benefit to the community and helping sort of patch up a faulty system as that system finds its way. Yeah, but unfortunately, uh, doula work and support in the community, doulas have always been seen as a luxury for white women. So now that we've broken that door down, and now that we have more women of color getting access to it, we have to change the definition. We have to change, not the definition, but we have to change how doulas are seen so that we can have that access that we're talking about, so that we can have that diversity that we're talking about, so that we can have that cultural competency that we're that we're working towards. So it, 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 that change definitely has to happen. Mm-hmm. And it is happening now, but it's, it's it has to be more widespread. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit more, because I know why we have a lot of doulas listening out there along with with the new and expectant parents um, that would like to have the access of a doula if they don't have already, right? So it's a good conversation for any of them. Um, how do we make it that the you know doulas are seen less and less, are less not seen, but are less of a luxury item that we have more access and also have the doulas be valued for the work they do, which is not to, you know, being a doula, it's kind of insane because we are basically on call for you. We miss, like, we drop our lives and go to your house. Yes. Yes. That should be immensely valued, a part of all the wonderful things that we do, right? Um, So what, what does your ideal world look like for how doulas integrate into the system? Well, my ideal world is a doula for every every woman or person who wants one. And um, that should be where the price um, range is affordable and accessible, as well as the level of service, as well as the availability in that person's community. I've seen doulas become so ingenious lately where they're actually doing remote doula work, where if a woman lives in a very, very remote area in the country, that if she has Wi-Fi, she can actually set up her laptop and have a doula, doula her birth by computer. So we are thinking outside of the box. And that is a very positive sign by just doing that, by thinking outside the box, by having this conversation. For women to say on their baby shower, I don't want all that expensive material stuff. I want my family to put their money together and get me a doula. I need an advocate in that room. I need an educator throughout my pregnancy that is for me and my family. 
and that I can really grow off of and have a wonderful birth experience. We have to move away from the capitalistic model and we have to become more proficient and proactive in pregnancy and childbirth because it does impact future uh, generations. So if a woman wants a doula, she should certainly be able to have one and her family should support her on this. Her, her partner, her husband should support her on this and the economics should also support her so that she can have access to one. Mm-hmm. Hallelujah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm all behind you. <laughs> we'll stop. Um, because it and it's not just because we're doulas, we love to say we're amazing and really help. But like, there's so much research for it, right? And the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has in their latest guidelines said doulas can improve your outcome having a doula, not doulas, but having a doula can improve your outcome. So it's, again, it, it is a I do think it's a pivotal anchor on not it's not the only solution like we can't just say oh you solve your problem by having a doula not at all but until we as we can continue to improve and try to fix this system and figure out our way like that's something that can really help along the way absolutely yeah so denise in terms going back to bringing justice to the birth room and and, and bringing more equity um, what are other topics that we need to make sure we mention? We need to talk about childbirth education. Women have to understand their bodies and understand what childbirth is to their bodies when they're pregnant and they're giving birth. Um, we also have to understand the value and the importance of breastfeeding. We also have to incorporate the conversation of mental health during pregnancy and postpartum. Uh, to make sure that, that that person is supported and that, you know, with the hormonal and, and chemical changes in their bodies, that mental health is just as important as having that wonderful uh, care provider and that, you know, that $400 stroller. So that is just as important. So those are the things that would really, really be a comprehensive blanket um, to cover that birth and to really, really support those strong, wonderful, powerful outcomes that are just so empowering. There's nothing more empowering to speak to a woman who's had an amazing birth. When she goes to tell you her story, she's overcome with tears. She's overcome with feeling and emotion because it is something that she has never, ever experienced before. And um, it's unforgettable. And, and we want to have more of those because those children will also be part of that positive energy as well. Absolutely. And the more they share those stories, then other pregnant people around them can say, wait, I want, you know, I want that. That exactly. can, that is attainable. I want that. Adriana, it's not even, I want that. It's, I deserve that. Oh, yes. And on my webpage, if you go to boldula.com, you'll see my, my, my motto is you deserve this. You deserve to have this birth that is supported and empowered and educated and enriched with your family and your community and your partner and your culture. You you deserve that. Yes, absolutely. And it's it between that, it's like we've turned everything upside down and all these things that should be things, things that you deserve and should naturally have, have kind of become a luxury. And, you know, when you're talking about mental health, I'm thinking about postpartum doulas, postpartum support, and, you know, also maternity leave, like all these things that tie into 
creating moms, creating parents that are not struggling and 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 not feeling lost and not you know having that deteriorated into pathology um, with postpartum mood disorders and also yeah we when I did the research there was so much that hinged on stress yes can you talk a bit more about the the implications of stress in this whole process our environment is very stressful for a woman of color and racism is a very uh, caustic, it's a very, it's very much like a cancer. So when women are out here and they're pregnant, and a lot of women, white women, rich women, corporate women, they're facing a lot of stress because society does not support pregnancy. It is seen as a setback. It's seen as a deterrent. It's seen as a, you know, oh, we'll just, you know, we'll, we'll put up with this. So the stress is out there, the stress of still holding down that job, keeping that career, economic uh, uh, stress as far as making sure that when you're on leave and your disability, which is ridiculous, um, your disability uh, covers your your family's expenses. Um, There's the stress of just being black and walking out into the community every day. Um, There's stress of of, of nutrition. There's stress from your partner, your husband. Uh, There's stress on the, uh, the woman on expectations um, and, and as well as the, the stress of the internal, of what is my body doing? Um, will I be able to do this? How am I going to su- sustain this pregnancy? What does birth feel like? So there's a gazillion and one stressors that a woman undergoes when she's pregnant and giving birth. And those stressors can be alleviated by the proper support. And those stressors, if not uh, navigated properly, can have a negative outcome and a birth that she doesn't want, and a a baby that is underweight because stress also constricts the blood vessels so that baby doesn't get the proper nutrients and oxygen uh, that's needed to growth for fetal development. So stress is a huge, huge factor in pregnancy and birth. And for my clients, when they go into the birth room, their stress is gone because we've talked over everything before they go into that birth. So we hammer things out. We write letters. We write affirmations. We do all the groundwork. So that birth is really empowered. Yeah. And and yeah, no, the stress is huge. And it sounds like, oh, yeah, stress. No, it is. It affects physical outcome. It does create lower birth weight babies. And Unfortunately, the statistics show that for black mothers, the the number of low birth weight babies has been on the rise, um, meaning that stress is very pervasive and has big implications. So that to say, don't take, don't dismiss like, like oh, yeah, everybody has stress. No, no. Stress is right. important. Yeah. Right. Exactly. 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 I've been to too many baby showers where the pregnant mom is surrounded by females and all these fellow females are doing is giving her one horror birth story after another horror birth story after another. And she's sitting there saying, I'm scared. And their anecdote for her fear is to give her more negative stories. (laughs) Uh, So we, we have to move away from that. We have to move away from that. Absolutely. And and this stress also creates, you know, not just low birth weight babies, but it can create conditions like hypertension and preeclampsia and, you know, it all snowballs. So I think 
the there's multiple ways to support and bring more justice to the birthing room and it uh, to recap what we talked about um you mentioned a lot of it starts ahead of time with your community and your care provider and doing childbirth education and getting a doula and then you know being supported through the birth by these this fabulous team that you set up and then make sure you have a postpartum that takes into account the value of breastfeeding and your mental health and has a lot of support so that we can diminish stressors and improve outcomes. Absolutely. Yay. Look Did at you- me just doing right reading my notes. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it's really up to us to make this shift and make this change. And and with the proper, you know, energy and, and, and forgiveness, we can do it. I, I know it's possible. I truly do believe it's possible. Yeah. And that is huge because, frankly, I mean, just acknowledging that we're in a bad place, but it's not a, a blame game. No. It's, no. Yeah more of how are we moving forward yes yes absolutely yeah denise if people want to connect with you and learn more how can they do that and i know you mentioned your website mention it again oh my website is www.bolddoula.com you can also find me on facebook under bold doula or denise bolds you can like me or friend me there you can find me on blog talk radio under Denise Bolds. My last name is B as in boy, O-L, D as in David, S as in Sam. And you can also find me on uh, The Audacious Black Woman. Uh, That's my blog. You can find my books are sold on Amazon.com. Fantastic. And thank you for all the things that you do to try to just make birth better. Thank you. This has been a wonderful show. I've had a great time and I'm looking forward for more. Mighty Ones, check out the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. I'm also on Facebook or Twitter as at birthful, so come say hi. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you, the Birthful Patreon supporters, and by the wonderful people at StoryWorth and Casper Mattresses. To best support this podcast, support its sponsors and get discounts while you're at it. Go to storyworth.com slash birthful and get $20 off when you subscribe. And go to casper.com slash birthful to get $50 towards select mattresses. Terms and conditions apply. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Also, the Birthful podcast is part of the Parents on Demand network. Find out more at parentsondemand.com. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me Friday when I'll be talking to a mighty parent as they share their amazing story here at the Birthful Podcast, because you will get more sleep eventually. Thanks so much for listening. 